You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. Uh, right now, though, let's get into a Bible study, shall we? Uh, we study the Bible. Why? Why? It, it's how we know God. Faith comes by understanding, by hearing, and understanding or hearing comes by the Word of God. If we don't read God's Word, we will make up our own God. And we will believe in that. And so uh, today we open our Bibles once again. What a tremendous privilege. And we do so, going to Genesis 15, we do so to know and understand the heart and the mind of the true and living God. And to that end, let's pray. Uh, Lord, we come before you. We thank you for the gift of worship. To be able to sing praises to your name just refreshes our soul. And now, Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word. It is so powerful. It is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It is able to, to divide between soul and spirit. Lord, I don't even know where such things are, but you do, and your word is so powerful. It is able to build us. Lord, would you build us now, and would you allow us to see the incredible plan of redemption that you have forelaid before the foundation of the world? And Jesus, we thank you of your great love for us, that even though you knew we would be messed up sinners, you chose to go to a cross and take all of our sin, the punishment of our sin, upon your own shoulders, that we might have your righteousness given to us as a free gift. And Jesus, we thank you for your great love for us. Now open our eyes, Lord, and allow us to see the wondrous things that are written in your word, for we pray it in your name. And all God's people said? Amen. All God's people said? Amen. Amen, amen. Uh, here's where we're at. We're going through the book of Genesis verse by verse. The title of the message, The Abrahamic Covenant Part 2. And if you say, hey, wait a minute, I was here last week. You didn't do the Abrahamic Covenant Part 1. Uh, by the way, if you need a Bible, raise your hands. You'll want a Bible for sure. Uh, and uh, find your way to Genesis 15. Last week, you're right, we didn't do the Abrahamic Covenant Part 1. We did a study on Melchizedek. The king of righteousness. And if by any reason you missed it, oh my gosh, powerful, powerful section of scripture. Go back and listen to that message. You need to know what God did through Melchizedek, the king of righteousness. But we did look uh, at the Abrahamic covenant part one many weeks ago in Genesis chapter 12. And I told you then, I called it the Abrahamic Covenant Part 1, and I told you, we're not going to do Part 2 for several weeks. And here we are uh, now in Part 2 of this. I've never done that before. We have Part 1 way back here and Part 2 down the road, so you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, we're talking about it now because... Um, it's this part two, God rebuilds, uh, not rebuilds, but God revisits this covenant that he made with Abraham. And we're going to see more insights about it as he does. There is going to be a part three, but you have to wait for it. It's going to come. So um, uh, so anyway, here we are. And here's where we're at. In, in Genesis 12, if you don't remember, God made a covenant with Abram. Uh, a covenant is a a contract that is stronger than even death, right? A covenant is, is uh, stronger than a, than a contract. Uh, a covenant that cannot be broken even by death. And we looked at the contents of that covenant in part one of this talk when we were in Genesis 12. Uh, the contents of the, 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 the covenant were five specific points, and I'll go through them with you really fast, not in detail. If you want it in detail, go back and listen to Genesis chapter 12, part one of this. Uh, but the first one is this, God promised Abram a homeland. Abram, I'm going to give you a homeland, the nation Israel. It's yours. Uh, this covenant is super important all the way through today. This covenant is a covenant that lasts forever. And here we see why this is so important that we understand this covenant. Because it's going to affect even our current day events. 
You see, today, if you read the news, you know there's some confusion about who that land belongs to. And there are those who want to offer a two-state solution and say, well, hey, let's give part of the land to this people, and we'll give part of the land to the Jews and, and part of it to the Palestinians. No, 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 no. God has said, God created the earth, it's his, and he has said the land belongs to Israel. And so we see this covenant is important. It goes on forever. And we see that it affects even current day events. A lot, by the way. This covenant is so important. And the reason we're devoting this time to studying it is because it will even affect the way we view eschatology or the study of end times events and having a proper understanding of God's covenant with Abraham it's called the Abrahamic covenant is essential for understanding Bible prophecy so the first part of the covenant was hey you're going to have a permanent homeland it'll be yours forever God told Abram the Jewish people it'll be yours the second one is this I'm going to make you a great nation I'm going to make you a great people the Jewish people uh, there were no Jewish people God said Abram you're my first Hebrew and I'm going to make a nation out of you he chose by the way a man who had been married for a long time and they were barren and God said, I'm going to make a great nation out of you, the guy who can't have any kids. Uh, and we see that God uh, fulfilled that. The Jewish people today are indeed a great nation, one of the greatest nations on the planet Earth. Uh, the third part of this was uh, there was going to be personal blessing and greatness, uh, both on Abram and on the Jews. And we see God fulfilled this. Abraham is a great man in human history. He's a, a great man in Christianity. He's a great man in Judaism, the two largest religions in the world. And he's a great man in uh, uh, Islam, uh, even though that's a false religion. Uh, the three largest religions in the world, Abraham is a great, a great man. Personal blessing and greatness. And we see, oh man, so true. The Jewish people are not only a great nation, but they're a great people. Uh, they do more amazing things than any other people group by far. Uh, they, they excel in every area, rather that be medicine, technology, agriculture, uh, everything, right? They're like off the charts. Uh, per capita, they've won more Nobel Peace Prizes than any other ethnic group. Uh, they're just brilliant. Albert Einstein, ever heard of him? I mean, uh, God has just, he's done this, right? Personal blessing and greatness and a great nation. By the way, Israel is such a great nation, it's the only democracy in the Middle East. And it is a stable force in the Middle East. Without it, I don't know that the, uh, the world would be in chaos, right? All of Europe would be in chaos without Israel. So uh, uh, God has kept all of these promises. Uh, the fourth tenet of the, the covenant was divine protection. Divine protection. God said, I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who curse you, he said in Genesis 12, referring to the divine protection that he has on Israel. Uh, right now, we see that uh, this is needed. Uh, from the time God made this covenant with Abraham, there's been something called anti-Semitism. This racial hatred towards the Jews. They are the most persecuted people ethnically of any people group. And they have been from the day God made this covenant with Abram. And that alone ought to cause you to think, why in the world would that be? Why is it that this little tiny nation about this big on a map would be the hotbed of the entire earth? Why is it that this people group would be the most persecuted people of all people in human history. Here's why. Because God has a covenant with them. And if that covenant can be broken, and if, if there is a God and there is a devil, the devil wants to break that covenant because if he can break that covenant, God's word is invalid 
and God's purposes are, are, will not come into fruition. Uh, so there's a reason. I call it the mystery of anti-Semitism, and it's worthy of some thought. God, knowing that would be there, he says, I'm going to put divine protection on you. And those who bless you, I will bless. And those who curse you, I will curse. And uh, I believe America has enjoyed God's grace and mercy as a nation because of our support of Israel, not because of our goodness, which is lacking, right? Uh, but because of our goodness, God, uh, excuse me, because of our support of Israel, God, is, this, this promise still stands. Uh, the fifth one is simply... Uh, uh, probably the most profound, most amazing, most uh, incredible one, uh, that divine blessing will be on all nations. Uh, God told Abram, uh, the exact words were, and in you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. How could all the nations of the earth be blessed through Abram? Well, it was a promise that the Messiah, Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, God himself, would become a man in the person of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And through him, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Uh, that Messiah is also going to set up his kingdom on the earth. It'll be a thousand year kingdom, a millennial reign, and he will rule and reign. It'll be the first time since the fall of Adam and Eve that righteousness will have a righteous king on the earth and that's coming all the nations of the earth will be blessed so these are the promises of the Abrahamic covenant and today we're going to see God reaffirm this covenant with Abram now that covenant was in chapter 12 we are now in chapter 15 anybody have any idea how much time has passed no uh, <laughs> at least 10 years have passed Abram is about 85 years old here in chapter 15. And we know that he was 75 years old when he left uh, the Ur of Chaldees. Excuse me, when he left Haran to go into the promised land, he was 75 years old. And that covenant was made before that. So we know the covenant is at least 10 years old, right? And Abram's waiting for God to, to bring this covenant into fulfillment. And uh, we read last week that uh, there, were, there was this war that went on. And Abram uh, has just defeated an alliance of four kings that went to war with these five kings and took all their stuff. And Abram went in to these four victorious kings and with 318 of his own servants, he defeated them and took back all their stuff and gave it back to their rightful owners, right? And uh, God's supernatural blessing was on them. My, uh, excuse me. Um, and so, uh, uh, well, let's, let's open up. Chapter 15, let's, let's look at it. If you're there, give me a big amen. Genesis 15. <laughs> Look at verse 1. Uh, what are the first words? Read them out loud. First three words. After what things? This battle that just went on, right? That Abraham just defeated these kings, right? After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. Don't be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and exceeding great reward. Here's the question. Uh, God uh, it tells Abram, don't be afraid. Why? Why would he tell him that? Because Abram was afraid. What was he afraid of? These kings that he just defeated might now come and bring retaliation against him. I imagine it went something like this. Abram's been gone for months fighting the, this war, right? He traveled 200 miles. He comes back from a long journey and he comes home. Sarai's waiting at home. Hey, honey, how'd it go? It was amazing. 
God gave us victory. Our 318 guys, I mean, God just moved before us. We plundered all the kings that took all the stuff from Lot, and he went to rescue his nephew Lot, right? We got Lot back. Is Lot safe? Yeah, Lot's safe. We got him back. Not only that, they had taken all the captives of that, and we brought all the captives back to their home. They all went, all the wives went back to their husbands. All the kids went back to their mom and dad. All the plunder and the booty went back to the rightful owners. I didn't want to take anything of Sodom and Gomorrah's stuff. I just came totally separate. It all went back and we defeated these kingdoms. And Sarai goes, oh my gosh, we're in trouble. What have you done? These kings are going to come get us. And Abram goes, I'm making this up, but it's, you know, right? Very probable. If you're married, very probable. Uh, and Abram then thinks about it like, oh my gosh. And fear begins to grip him, right? Uh, if you've ever done anything heroic, you know, oftentimes as soon as you're done, you're like, oh my gosh, I could have died, right? Uh, and he comes back and he's like, and God says, Abram. Don't be afraid. And he gives him some great instruction here. Notice what he says. I am your shield. What does that mean? I'm your protector, Abram. Do you think you won this battle? Do you think you defeated those kings? Abram, I'm your shield. I've been going before you every day of your life. The reason you're here. The reason you made it through that bicycle wreck when you went down, your brakes went out when you were a kid. That was me. I am your shield. And not only am I your shield, look what he says. Look at the superlative adjectives that he uses. I am your shield and what else? Your reward. What kind of reward? Your great reward. Not, as if that's not enough. I am your exceedingly great reward. What's he saying? Abram, what are you worried about? If you only knew the plans that I have for you and the future that I have for you and who I am and what I've created and all that I have prepared for you, you would not be worried about a thing. Isn't it amazing how we can get worked up over, oh, how am I going to pay the mortgage this month? Oh. God's like, did you rub my lamp? Did you bring me here? Do you know who I am, right? Uh, that's Aladdin. Uh, like, do you know, I mean, who I, and God says, listen, Abram, I'm your shield. I am your exceedingly great reward. Um, man, if we only knew, if we only knew. This phrase, don't be afraid, is repeated I think like, a, don't quote me on this, but I think like 148 times in the Bible. The concept is mentioned well over 300 times. Do you know why? Because a lot of times we are what? Afraid. We're afraid. Lord, I can't get pregnant. Lord, I'm not married yet. Lord, I'm middle-aged and I just lost my job. Lord, I'm a young man. I'm trying to get my career going and housing prices. I'll never have a house. And God would say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Afraid often, a phrase often used by God. And I want you to know, if you are in Jesus Christ, this promise is yours. I am your God. I am your creator. I am your shield. I chose you. You are mine. I will protect you. And I have exceedingly great and amazing things planned for you that will last throughout all eternity. And if you would only get your eyes on me, you would not be so consumed and worried about this nonsense little thing. And this is the promise that is there for us. I talk with young people today, and many young people today are afraid because the world is falling apart. 
Society is unraveling. There's a bankruptcy of moral values. There's an abuse of power, uh, powers that are just so prevalent everywhere, right? The economy seems to be out of control. I mean, I'm watching the price of In-N-Out burgers just go up and up and up and up. <laughs> Much less houses, right? Uh, uh, man, you go to the grocery store, a loaf of bread, six bucks. I'm like, what the heck? Uh, right? G gas. I mean, uh, there's a perversion of marriage and human sexuality going on. There's grooming of children for perverse and wicked things. There's gender identity issues that are out of control. For some reason, there's a love of abortion and a hatred of those who want to protect life. I mean, how can you... How can you love killing babies and how can you curse the womb? And yet there's a hatred for those who love life. Uh, how is it? I don't know. It's just crazy. And people look at these young people. Again, I have them tell me, uh, Pastor Dave, I don't want to get married. I don't want to have kids. I don't want to raise children in this world. Let me tell you something. If you are not in Christ, you have a good reason to be afraid. The world is out of control. And it's not just the United States. It's all over. Out of control. But let me tell you something else. If you are in Jesus Christ, do not be afraid. God is your shield. And your exceedingly great reward. And his plans for you are amazing. Uh, make him the Lord of your life. Make Jesus the Lord of your life. Walk with him. Read his word. Obey his word. And you know what will happen? You will thrive. Get married. Have kids. Have a bunch of kids. Raise them in the admonition of the Lord. Teach them to know Jesus and to walk with him. God is your shield and your exceedingly great reward. And your life will shine like a really bright light in a dark world. And if you're a young adult and you're here and you're going, I don't know if I'm ever going to get married. I don't know if I'm ever going to get a house. I don't know if I'm ever going to. Hey, you're going to, man. Just walk with Jesus and let him do his magnificent work in your life. Can I tell you something, young adults who are in this room? You guys are awesome. You have a reputation that is going way outside of this church. I have other pastors calling me. What are you guys doing in your young adult ministry? You are making, a, you're shining a light into the world I'm amazed at the caliber of young men that are being raised up good on you guys now go shine brightly for Jesus amen, amen. yeah so so awesome God tells Abram Abram don't be afraid man if you only knew what I had planned for you now notice this look what look what look what Abram says uh, what does verse 2 start with read the first word but, 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 no buts, right? No buts. Uh, verse two, but Abraham said, Lord God, what will you give me? Seeing I go childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. Eleazar was Abram's right hand man. Uh, he was Abram's J.C. Cooper, if you will, right? Uh, he was his right-hand man. And interesting, by the way, Eliezer, El meaning God in Hebrew. Eliezer, it means God is my helper. Eliezer is a picture of the Holy Spirit in this. Uh, uh, God is my helper. Uh, Eliezer is going to be the heir. I don't have a descendant. And notice what God says. Um, verse 3. Then Abraham said, Look, you have given me no offspring. And indeed, one born in my house is my heir. What's Abram saying? He says, God, it's been, it, 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 we know, at least 10 years since you made this covenant with me. And you told me I'm going to have a kid. I don't have a kid. You told me I'd have a homeland. I don't have a homeland. I, I, I don't see anything happening. 
And we're prone not to see the good work that the Lord is doing in our life. Abram, you don't see anything happening? Are you kidding me? Are you now taking credit for what I just did in you? Do you think that was you? But Abraham's wavering in his faith. He's learning how to walk with God, right? Uh, Lord, it's been 10 years. Verse 4. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one. I want you to circle that word one right there. But one. Circle that one. One who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Abram, you are going to have a son. His name will be Isaac, right? You will have a son, and he will be the heir. But that son will have a son and become a great nation, and one will be the heir. His name? Jesus. Uh, that's where we're going. Uh, we're going to see some amazing things in this. Verse, verse 5. Uh, then he, that's God, brought him, that's Abraham, outside, and he said, look now towards the heavens, that's the sky, and count the stars. Circle the word count, will you? I'll tell you why in a little bit. Did you circle it? I'm not circling it. Circle it. <laughs> circle the word count. Count the stars, and see if you're able to number them. Circle the word number. Count and number. Look up in the heaven, count the stars, see if you're able to number them. And he said to them, so shall your descendants be. And he believed, not didn't believe the Lord, he believed in the Lord, very interesting, believed in the Lord, and he, the Lord, accounted it to him, to Abram, for righteousness. Some interesting stuff here that we see. Uh, and I want to give a little bit of application here for us, something to hold on to. Abram is battling fear. He's worried. Hey, man, I gave up a lot of money. Maybe I should have kept some of that. I gave up millions, probably billions of dollars in plunder. Maybe I should have kept some of that. Furthermore, maybe these kings are going to come back and get me. And God says, no, 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 listen. I am your protector and your great reward. You didn't, everything's good, right? And here, Abram's battling fear, and I want, I want you, what did God do? Abraham's battling fear, and what did God do? God brings Abram back to the promises of his word. When you are battling your fears, let God bring you back to the promises that are in his word. That is how we are to deal with our fears. To look to God's word and let God bring us back to the promises that he's already made to us. That are already ours. That belong to us. Uh, hold on to the word of God. God tells Abram, Abram, you're going to have a son. And Abram, he is going to be a great nation. There's going to be a multitude of people that come out of, that, that come out of you. Uh, count the stars, Abram. Can you count them all? Can anybody number the stars? No, even with all our telescopes today, nobody can count the number of the stars. Uh, Abram, you're going to be a great nation. But even more important, Abram, the Messiah is going to come through you. And he's going to be the heir of all things. He's going to rule and reign on the earth, right? God reminds him of these promises. Abram's worried about many things. He's worried about being barren. He's worried about kings coming after him. And God says, hey, listen, Abram, what are you worried about? My plans for you are so big. Are you worried about trivial things? How about you, Christian? My plans for you are so big. Are you worried about trivial things? Well, my neighbor's got this vine, and it's growing over my, it's really bugging me, and it's like, I'm, I told him, and I just, oh, I hate that neighbor. <laughs> Seriously, dude? Seriously? Do you know who you are? You're a child of God. Do you know the plans that he has for you? Why are you focusing on myopic things? And he brings Abraham back to the bigger picture, the promises of his word. Right? Amazing. Amazing. Now, I want to take you on an exegetical deep dive. Will you let me? 
Uh, this isn't typical Sunday stuff here, but you guys are good Bible students, and uh, there are things that are important for us, I think, to know here. Uh, the Apostle Paul gives some interesting commentary on this passage that we just read. The Apostle Paul, according to the Apostle Paul, he tells us that God showed Abram the gospel of Jesus Christ here. And he, the Apostle Paul says that this passage doesn't refer to Abraham's descendants as being plural, as in many descendants, but as Abraham's descendant, singular, as being one. Interesting. You say, well, where did Paul say that? In Galatians chapter 3. And uh, I have it for you on the screens, Galatians 3.16. Let me hear you read this. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. Paul says God wasn't speaking of many descendants when he talked to Abraham. God was speaking of one descendant when he talked to Abraham. And that descendant was who? Christ. Very interesting. Very interesting. Uh, look at verse 5, by the way. The last half of verse 5. So shall your descendants be. According to Paul, you should scratch off that S right there. So shall your descendant be. Interesting. The word descendant in the Hebrew is seed. And in Hebrew, like in English, seed can be both what? Singular and plural. In the Hebrew, it's in the singular form here. Uh, in, in, in the singular form. Uh, but in Hebrew, seed singular, it can be singular or plural. But Paul would give the commentary that the seed here is singular. And that seed is who? Jesus. You'll find very, interesting, very interestingly, if we look back, let's do this. The whole conversation was all singular, by the way. Take a look. Let's jump back. Let's read it again. Let's jump back to verse 2. Abraham said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing that I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? Then Abraham said, Look, you have given me no offspring, and indeed one, singular, born in my house, is my heir. Verse 4, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him and saying this, what? One will not be your heir, but one, the one I had you circle, shall be your heir. And that one is who? Jesus, Paul says. Wow. Wow. One will come from your body who will be the heir. And then look what God does. And you say, well, this doesn't make any sense. Look at this. Uh, then he, God, brought him, that's Abram, outside, so it was nighttime, and he says, look towards the heaven. And then I had you circle these two words, and if you're not a rebel, you did. Count the stars and see if you're able to number them. Count and number. When we think of counting and numbering, what do we think of? Well, counting, like, like accounting, like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. How, Abram, can you count all the stars? And the answer would be? No. No. But that may not be what God was saying. The word count and number is the same word in the Hebrew, even though it's two different words here in your English translation. The, the translator is trying to make sense of this passage. But in Hebrew, it's the same word. And the word is safer. Everybody say safer. 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 It is used, I wrote it down somewhere. Uh, 161 times in the Bible, 161 times. It can mean to count numerically, but the majority, the vast majority of the times that it's used, do you know what it means? It means to explain or to set it in the proper order. Let me give you some examples, can I, of how the word is used? In Genesis 40, when... Joseph is in prison. Do you remember this, you Bible scholars? And he interprets the dream of the baker. And the baker has this crazy dream. He has a dream that he's got three baskets of bread, white baskets of bread on his head. 
and the bread was for the Pharaoh. And birds came and started eating the bread, and the baker in his dream is shooing off these birds. And it says that the baker, Safar, excuse me, Safar, Joseph, his dream, he explained the dream to him. By the way, the dream had a bad interpretation, right? Uh, Joseph tells the, uh, the baker, hey, dude, your head's going to get chopped off today. Uh, he's like, man, I wish I never told you my dream, right? Yeah, sorry. Uh, and sure enough, it happened, right? But the word saw fair. He explained his dream to him. Doesn't mean count. Doesn't mean number. Uh, let me give you another one. Do you remember when, when Moses brought the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he then brings them into uh, to the wilderness journey. This is in Exodus chapter 18. And Moses then, he meets up with his father-in-law, Jethro. And there Moses tells Jethro the word, Sofer. He explains to Jethro everything that happened when they were in Egypt. Jethro, you wouldn't believe it. God's power was so strong. There were these ten plagues. There was this. There was the parting of the Red Sea. He explained Sofer, everything that God did in Egypt. On and on and on I could go. I could give you tons of example, examples where the word Sofer means to explain or to tell the story. And now let's read it this way. Uh, Verse 5. Well, let's go back to verse 4. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him, to Abraham, saying, This one shall shall not be your heir, but one, Jesus, who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he, that's God, brought him, Abram, outside and said, Look towards the heavens and explain or set in order the stars and see if you are able to explain them or to set them in order and he said so shall your seed or your descendant singular be what's that yeah it is believed by some scholars i am one of them that god put the gospel message in the stars in the heavens Think about what we know of the Zodiac. In the Zodiac, there is a lion. The lion of the tribe of Judah. In the Zodiac, there is a serpent. In the Zodiac, there is a lamb. In the Zodiac, there is a virgin. In the Zodiac, there is a bull, an offering. In the Zodiac, there are balances, scales. And God took Abram outside, perhaps, and said, look to the heavens, see if you can tell the story, see if you can put it in order, and some scholars believe, I personally do, that in the, for the ancient, of uh, the ancients, God put the gospel message in the heavens, before there were scrolls, before there were books, before there... And the gospel was actually written in the heavens. Psalm 19 would say, the heavens declare the glory of God. Maybe way more literally than we ever even dreamed. The gospel message in the heavens. And Abraham put it all together. And now something very interesting, which Paul also quotes in Galatians chapter 3. Look at verse 6. Read it out loud for me. Verse 6 out loud. One thundering voice. Let me hear you. It's in your Bible, not on your screens. Verse (laughs) 6. You're like Pavlov's dog. I say read this and you look up to the screen, right? Uh, Verse 6. Let's read it out loud. A thundering voice. And he believed in the Lord. He didn't believe the Lord. He believed in the Lord and the Lord accredited that to him for righteousness. There is only one thing that you can believe that the Lord will accredit to you for righteousness. What is it? The work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That is the only thing that you can ever believe 
that God will accredit to you for righteousness. And here it says, not Abraham believed the Lord. Abraham believed in the Lord. And God accredited that to him for righteousness. The New Testament will quote this key passage, Abraham believed in the Lord and God accredited to him for righteousness. We'll quote that important passage four times to show that salvation is always by faith in what Jesus did for us and never by anything else. And that is the only way we can have righteousness, a key passage. What did Abraham believe in that God accredited him for righteousness? The same exact thing that you and I believe in that God accredits us for righteousness, the work of the Messiah on the cross. Is that not amazing? The gospel has been preached from Genesis 1 on. And the Bible would tell us that Jesus was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. And God has been sharing this message to every generation from the beginning of time. And Abraham believed God and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Uh, now, Abraham looked forward to the work of the cross in faith. And he was saved. He was given righteousness. We look back to the work of the cross in faith. And we are given righteousness. Um, uh, so some interesting things. Uh, we need to move on. Uh, are you tracking with me? Uh, I guess uh, let me. I, I, I guess I need a disclaimer before I move on. Uh, the zodiac. <laughs> Don't go reading your stinking horoscope. Okay, that is that is Pollyanna nonsense. Uh, it, it, is, it is ridiculous. And by the way, the Zodiac was radically corrupted by Babylon. Uh, by Babylon. Don't go back to Babylonian religion. God hates it, right? It's the mother of all harlots. The mother, it's, it's an abomination to the Lord. Christians have zero, zero, did I say it? Zero connection with the zodiac with this with the horoscopes don't do it it's a folly stay away from it it is nonsense it is garbage stay away from the zodiac uh by the way god made this crystal clear in the book of hebrews hebrews 1 1 a goddess well on your screens god who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past past by the fathers, to the fathers, by the prophets, has in these the last days spoken to us by who? His son. His son whom he appointed, there it is again, what? Heir. Heir of all things. Look at that. Through whom also he created the universe. This son was God in the flesh, the one, the creator of the universe, the heir of all things. And God spoke in various ways in times past. But now you have a Bible, the word of God. And Jesus, God has spoke to you through the person of Jesus. And we don't have need for any other revelation. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father, you've seen God. And we don't have need for any other revelation. So do not go reading your Zodiac. It's an abomination to the Lord, okay? Um, uh, hopefully I didn't need that disclaimer, but uh, for those teenage girls who did, there you go. <laughs> Ooh! Go ahead, send me an email on that one. I'll just forward it to JC. Uh, uh, man, I'm feeling spunky up here, crying out loud. Get me back in the Bible before I get in trouble. Uh, verse 7. <clears throat> Are you still with me for crying out loud? Verse 7. Uh, then he, that's God, said to him, Abram, I am Yahweh. I am the Lord. I am Yahweh who brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land that you're standing in to inherit it. Abram, you were a pagan knucklehead. This has nothing to do with you. This is my doing on your life. Abram, I called you when you were a sinner. And aren't you glad God called me when I was a sinner? And he loved me anyway. 
And he brought me to himself. And he did the same thing for you. And he said, listen, I died for you. And I've got promises for you. Abram, I called you when you were a pagan in the Ur of Chaldeans. And I called you to give you this land to, the, to inherit it. And he, that's Abram, said, Lord God, how will I know that I'm going to inherit it? It's been 10 years. What's Abraham asking here? He's asking, Lord, what do I have to do? What do I have to do to inherit this? And God's answer is going to be spectacular. Again, the question Abraham asks, okay, great, but what do I have to do? Because it hasn't happened yet. How many times have you been waiting on the Lord? You're saying, Lord, what do I have to do? Nothing. Wait on me. I'm going to bring it to pass, right? Uh, look, look what he says. Um, that's verse 8. Uh, what do I have to do? Abram asked. Verse 9. So he, that's God, said to him, Abram, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a few young pigeons. And he brought all these things to him, to God, and cut them in two. Interesting. Right down the middle. That'd be gory. And he placed them, he placed each piece opposite the other but he did not cut the birds in two he, they were too small he just put one dead bird over here and one dead bird over here uh, and you say what the heck is going on let me tell you something Abraham would totally understand what this was this was called a suzerain treaty everybody say that suzerain treaty and a suzerain treaty was a common thing among ancient kings Abraham knew exactly what that was it's kind of like if you saw a credit card terminal with a little thing to swipe or stick your card, you would know exactly what that was, right? You see that? You go, oh, I know what that is. Uh, well, we don't because, uh, you know, this is a long time, but Abram knew exactly what this was. This was a suzerain treaty, common among kings. And how it worked was uh, two kings would make a deal with each other, and they would say, hey, let's form an alliance. And if I break my end of the deal, this is what will happen to me. See this center aisle right here? Abraham cut up the, the, the animals and he put half of the bloody animal over here and half of the bloody animal over here. Okay? And uh, all these bloody animals on both sides. And here's what would happen. Uh, in a suzerain treaty, these two kings would then say, okay, it's a deal. Uh, and if I don't keep my end of the deal, they would walk through these pieces together. And if I don't keep my end of the deal, this is what will happen to me. And if you don't keep your end of the deal, you're a dead man. This is what will happen to you. And it was an agreement. Do you understand the picture? It would be like God giving us a contract, a, a home mortgage that you sign your life away, right? That's what God is making. Abraham understood what it was. This was a Susan treaty. Abraham understood it clearly. Uh, verse 11. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. What do we know then? Abraham separated these animals, and what happened? Nothing happened. And he waited all day. And he has to shoo the... By now, vultures are flying around. And here's what we see. Abraham fully understood the meaning, but now Abraham has to wait on the Lord. And he's waiting on the Lord to show him, okay, what about this contract here? What about the suzerain treaty? He's waiting on the Lord. Isn't it hard to wait on the Lord? It's hard to wait on the Lord. And here Abram waits on the Lord. He's waiting on the Lord to move. Uh, <clears throat> no doubt, Abram was probably tempted to just walk away. You know, it's been, been a few hours now. It's lunchtime. Kind of hungry. I'd like to go to Roberto's, get a carne asada burrito. I think I'm going to leave. I got some shopping to do at Home Depot. I got to go to Jimbo's. No, 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 no. Abram, wait on the Lord. And he waits, and he waits all day long. Waits for God's instruction. I wonder what Abram thought God was going to do. Oh, I know what this is. This is a suzerain treaty. 
I wonder if God's going to bring some kings by because I'm really afraid these kings are going to come. I bet God is going to bring the king of this area. Come make a deal with me to protect me from these kings that might come against me. Do you think Abraham probably had some ideas of what God was going to do? I think he did. Do you know why I do? Because I do the same thing. And you do the same thing. You have a problem and you think you know how God's going to move and we give God maybe a couple choices of how God's going to do this thing. <laughs> God, I got this problem. Here's how you can fix it. I'm going to pray for this. And you know what I have found? I often limit God by my preconceived ideas because more often than not, God wants to do something that I haven't even, what, thought of. And the mistake we make as Christians is we don't wait on the Lord. We get our preconceived idea, and then we say, God, bless this. And we give God no other options. God says, I'm not doing that. You think I'm, do, you think I ser- do, you think, do you think I'm your servant? You're my servant. Why don't you ask me what I want to do? And why don't you wait on it? Right? That's what God does to Abraham. Uh, and... Uh, uh, Abraham has to wait. I think it's so interesting how God moves. When we planted the mission church in a little elementary school in Cardiff, the church began to grow uh, rapidly, and, uh, and then we, we, got a, we got a real estate committee. We got a, a building uh, property committee uh, of a, a few really intelligent, smart guys who are really good in that field to go find a property. Because we need a, you know, we can't be in a school forever, right? And uh, guess how long that search committee looked for property? For over two years. And these were talented guys. And guess what they found? Nothing. Nothing. And then the school comes and says, hey, you got 90 days. You're out. <laughs> and I'm like, Lord, what the heck? You built this church and now you're going to crush it. What are we going to do? We're going to meet in a park under a tree? What are we going to do? We've had a search committee looking for two years. We found nothing. How am I going to find something in 90 days? And guess what the Lord did? Here we are. I didn't know the Lord wanted us here. I didn't have this on my plan. We had to wait on the Lord. And it was all his power that brought it through. We did nothing. That search committee that I had, they did nothing. No, they're great men of God. I'm totally joking. I'm totally joking. But it's true. Uh, Oh my gosh. Uh, How to win friends and influence people by David Menard. So I don't get in more trouble. Let's go back to the Bible. Abraham's tired of waiting all day long. He's been in the hot sun all day long. He's been shooting off the vultures all day long. You know what it's like when you're tired and when you're in the sun all day, you get tired. Verse 17, and it came to pass when the sun went down. Sun went down, this is now the second night that God's been praying. Excuse me, that Abraham's been praying to the Lord. First night, he went out and saw the stars. Now it's nighttime again, second night. Uh, And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark and behold... Oh, no, no, I skipped something. I'm sorry. Verse 12. Thank you. Uh, One more time. Now, when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon him, fell upon Abram. And behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Loose paraphrase. He has a night terror. He has this horrible dream or vision. And he, God, said to Abraham, no, certainly that your descendants, how many kids does Abraham have right now? Zero. This nation that comes out of you, your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. And they will serve them as slaves. And they will afflict them 400 years of slave labor. What is God referring to here? Egypt. Notice this church. God prophesies the 400 years of Jewish slavery in Egypt before Israel is even a nation. Crazy. Crazy. Why? Why does God do this? Here's why. 
Israel went into Egypt with only 12 people. Kind of like how we started the mission church. There was no nation. And they never were a nation. And they never had a homeland. They never had a place that was their own. And they grew from those 12 people into 3 million Jews. But they were never a nation. And they never had a homeland. And they became slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And if they were slaves in Egypt... They would think, there's no such thing as an Abrahamic covenant. We're not God's people. We're no nation. We're slaves. And God prophesied this ahead of time so that they would know, even though it looks dire, you are a nation and you are my people. Wow. Wow. Before it ever happened. Right? Verse 14. And also, this nation, that's Egypt, whom they serve, I will judge. And after I judge them, afterward, they will come out with great possessions. We know the children of Israel left Egypt with all the wealth of Egypt. This happened literally, exactly as God said. Now, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. I think Abraham died at, how old? 175, I think. I can't remember. Uh, but Abraham, this doesn't apply to you. It's going to apply to your descendants. You're going to die at a good old age. But, verse 16, in the fourth generation, they, your descendants, will, sh will return here. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Some really cool things for us to unpack here. Uh, God did not want the nation Israel to think that he had forgotten them or that they weren't a nation or that they weren't a people just because they never had a homeland, right? And he tells them, how encouraging would that be to you if you were a slave in Egypt? It'd be really encouraging. And if you were a slave in Egypt and it had been 350 years, what would you know if you knew God's word? Hey, our slavery is almost over. By the way, Joseph, who was the, the right-hand man of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, he knew this prophecy. And he told the children of Israel, when I die, don't bury my bones in Egypt. Bury my bones in the nation Israel. There is no nation Israel. There never has been. Yeah, yeah, there will be. Don't bury my bones in Egypt. Bury my bones in Israel. And if you were a slave in Egypt, you'd see these bag of bones on display up on the, you know, in the museum there. And you say, Mom, Dad, what are those bones there? Oh, there was this guy named Joseph. And he said, we're going to go to a promised land one day. And can I tell you something? Of all the amazing things that Joseph did, and he did a ton of amazing things, if you know the story. Do you know what he is in? Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith. Do you know what he's in there for? For this fact that he said, don't let my bones be buried. Why? Because it was a message that preached for 400 years of hard slavery to the Jews that were in, in Egypt as slaves. That preached to them, you're getting out one day. You're going to have a homeland one day. God's, you're God's covenant of people. Believe God's word. You want to have a significant life in God's eyes? Proclaim the promises of God to others. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord, right? Uh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to bring this thing. Uh, um, by the way, take a note. You say, wow, did this really happen? Uh, well, know this. Jacob, his name was changed to what? Israel. Israel. He had how many kids? Twelve. They're called the 12 tribes of Israel. Jacob and his 12 tribes, his 12 kids, uh, went down... Uh, into Egypt in 18, I uh, wrote it down and I, yeah, in 1876 BC. In 1876 BC, Jacob and Israel went into Egypt during the famine. In 1446 BC, Moses delivered Israel at the Red Sea. Do you know how many years that is? That's exactly 430 years. God says here, they're going to be there for 400 years. They're going to be afflicted for 400 years. What's the difference? Well, for 30 years, they weren't afflicted. For 400 years, they were. And this happened exactly as God said to the, to the day. Uh, look at this, by the way, verse 16. 
But in the fourth generation, they, your descendants, shall return here. Let's look at this again. Jacob, his name is Israel. He takes his 12 sons into Egypt. One of his sons was named Levi. And God says in the fourth generation, you're going to come back here into the promised land. If you read Moses' genealogy, Moses is the fourth generation from Levi. Wow. God did it exactly as he said. Again, Moses, the fourth generation from Levi, when we read the genealogy of Moses. Uh, so uh, now God reveals something incredible, and we'll close with this. Look at verse... Uh, Where'd we leave off? Oh, one more thing. Uh, verse 16. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. Uh, did you see that? Why does God wait 400 years? Here's why. He says, I'm not ready to judge the Amorites. The Amorites here are a collective name for all the Canaanite people. Uh, the, well, all the ites, you get it. Uh, he says, I'm not ready to judge them. I'm going to wait 400 years before I bring judgment on them, and I'm going to try to lead them to repentance. Very interesting. There are those who say that the God of the New Testament is merciful, and the God of the Old Testament is harsh and judgmental, right? Well, notice the mercy of the God of the Old Testament. Abram, I can't give you the land yet. Why? I want to give the inhabitants of the land 400 years to repent before I judge them. Interesting. By the way, those who say the God of the Old Testament was vengeful and the God of the New Testament is merciful, they make two gods. How many gods are there? It is one and the same God, my friend. There are not two. And the God of the Old Testament was incredibly merciful. And can I tell you something? The Lord Jesus Christ has tremendous wrath. He ought to be feared. This idea that he just loves everybody and, and he, he hugs all sinners and lets them be sinners and stay right where they are, nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, He's, he's long-suffering, but he does bring judgment. By the way, how many Amorites do you know? Have you seen any lately? Seen any Amorites? I didn't think so. And if God brought judgment on the Amorites, what might America be aware of, right? And just because God's mercy is good, I mean, like it's 400 years to repent, uh, don't think that God doesn't bring judgment. He does. Uh, now, let's move on. I need to wrap us up. Uh, that stinking clock. Verse 17. We'll wrap up with these passages right here. Uh, can you hang with me a couple more minutes? Yes. And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. What pieces are those? The dead animals. Interesting. Uh, a smoking, uh, a, burning, a burning oven, a smoking, what, what is he saying? He's saying, God in the appearance of a burning flame, just like the burning flame and the burning bush with Moses. Our God is a consuming fire. The radiant glory of God passed through those pieces all by himself. Abram did not pass through the pieces, right? And look what it says. And on that same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your descendants, I have given this land from the river Egypt, uh, that's the Nile River, all the way down in the south, to the great river, the river Euphrates. If you look at a map, that's the Euphrates River, all the way up to the north in uh, northern, uh, northern Israel, up by Syria. All of this land, he says, is yours. I've given you all the land. The land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Raphim, the Termites, all of them. Uh, I give you all the land. Verse 21. Uh, uh, you know, I give it all to you, right? Um, you say, I don't get it. What's the point? Here's the point. God's covenant with the nation Israel is 100% unconditional. God's, Abraham asked, how do I know that I'm gonna, all this is going to happen? How do I know that the Messiah is going to come through me, that I'm going to be a great nation, that uh, all the nations of the earth will be blessed? How do I know? What do I have to do? And God says, separate these pieces. Understand, Abraham understood what it was. Oh, this is a suzerain treaty. Uh, we're going to pass through this 
and God, and God says, no, 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 we're not going to pass through this. I'm going to pass through this. This is 100% conditional on me. You have no part in making this happen. Wow. The Abrahamic covenant is 100% unconditional. And you might ask, many churches teach that the Jews have now broken the covenant and that covenant is broken and now the church is the one that has the Abrahamic covenant. Nothing could be further from the truth that is a lie from the pit of hell. The church has not inherited the covenant of, 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 uh, with Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant. The church is grafted into that covenant but the covenant still stands with Israel. And Paul would teach this very clearly in Romans 9, 10, and 11. He spends three chapters of, in detail going over this. Let me give you the summation. In Romans 11, he says, As God cast away his four people, which he foreknew, definitely not. Uh, look at this verse. Uh, read with me. Romans 11, 11 also says it. Uh, read with me. I say then, have they, Israel, stumbled that they should fall permanently? Uh, what's he asking? They rejected their Messiah. The very Messiah that God called them to bring into the world. They rejected that Messiah. Surely God's done with them. Surely God wants no part with them now after they crucified the Messiah. Paul says, have they then stumbled that they should fall permanently? Or is God done with them? And Paul says, what? Certainly not. And now look at this good news. But through their fall, to provoke them, Israel to jealousy, salvation came to who? The Gentiles. To show Israel, look what you're missing out on. This was your Messiah, and look what he's doing with his people. And he's provoking them to jealousy. Let's go on, the rest of the verse. Now, if their fall, if Israel's fall, Israel's fall is riches for the world, and if their failure to receive their Messiah was riches for the Gentiles, he then asked the question, how much more will their fullness be? their fullness how much more will it be when they receive their messiah do you know what it'll be when they receive their messiah it'll be the ushering in of the messianic kingdom where jesus rules and reigns bodily physically literally as a king over the whole world from jerusalem just as he promised in the old testament prophets and that day my friend is almost here that day, my friend, is on the edge. When does that happen? It happens. When, do, when does Israel, go back to that previous slide. When does Israel come into their fullness and receive and understand that Jesus was indeed the Messiah? Do you know when that happens? It happens in the seven-year tribulation period. God has one more seven-year period for Israel. It's the 70th week of Daniel, if you want to read the book of Daniel. The 70th week of Daniel, it's also the tribulation period, if you want to read the book of Revelation. There's a seven-year period, and during that period, Israel receives their Messiah. And it brings in the coming of the Messianic kingdom, Jesus Christ. And it is at the doors. This week, Vladimir Putin met with on Tuesday, met with the king of Turkey, the king of Iran, and after that he met with the uh, Ayatollah Ali Khomeini, the, the supreme leader of Iran, and they brokered some major deals. And all of this is exactly what Ezekiel 38 says will happen right before the tribulation. We are right there. Israel is about to go into the tribulation period, the church is about to be raptured, and these days are at hand. So may we be ready. May we keep our eyes in G on Jesus. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.